don't know, five and six, all right? Sound good? All right. Chapter three and four, we'll read it all. A lot in there, but a phenomenal story. says, verse 1, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I did not call. Go back, lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel They'll make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Israel, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Apek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. But God has come into their camp, they said. 
oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men or you'll be subject to Hebrews as they have been subject to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When a man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town set up, sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and said, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 90 years old and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see. He told Eli, I've just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of, his, uh, by the, side of the gate. His ne neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news about the that the ark of, of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went to labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, don't despair, you have given birth to a son, but she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. <clears throat> a bit dark, right? A little bit depressing. This is a very sobering, sobering chapter, uh, and so we'll dig into it and we'll look at uh, look at some of the sobering messages that are in this story, but also some of the light that also shines through as well. Amen. Let's have a quick prayer and then we'll uh, we'll get stuck into it here. Uh, Father, we uh, you know we we do thank you, God. We thank you that, that you're a God who who loves us enough to oppose us when we need to be opposed, God. We pray, God, that you help us, God, you know, to, to heed you know, the warning even that we get in the New Testament, God, to, to look at these stories in the Old Testament and you know, to learn to not set our hearts on evil things, God. To learn from the, from the mistakes and, and the failures of those who, who have come before us, God, so that we can walk before you in a way that, that brings you, you joy to see, Father. We pray, God, that you help us, God. Pray that, that God, that you, you open up just as we sing, you know, that the eyes of our hearts, God. You help us to see our, ourselves, to see life with, with the soberness that, that only you can give and only your word can bring into our life, God. Be with us now, Father. Help us, God, to, to see what we need to see and to understand what we need to understand. Best so in Christ's name. Look, it's a, it's a great story. I mean, this is, you know, you can see why a lot of people, I mean, First Samuel, is, for a lot of people, is one of their favorite books of the Bible. Uh, you know, and it is very, very rich stories. But this is a, a really dark episode in this story. Right? There's a famous quote you can see on, on the screen from Thomas Fuller, uh, English historian, the darkest hour is just before the dawn. That's kind of a good summary of, the, of this text, right? Uh, if anyone here Irish, 
Jordan raised his hand, said he's Irish. You claim a lot of different nationalities, Jordan. He, Jordan claims he's also Kiwi, but I've never, I've asked to see his passport, I've never seen it, right? You know, but, but there, you know, some people think, you know, obviously Thomas Fuller's saying this in 1650, there's an Irish version uh, in 1858, uh, where they say basically the same thing, that the darkest hour of all is the hour before the day. Uh, for those more in, the, uh, in terms of modern movies, one of the great movies of, of our day, really. Very poetic as well. The Dark Knight trilogy, great movie, right? Uh, Harvey Two-Face, right? kind of has a mixed character. You can watch the movie, uh, but, you know, he's a mixed bag, right? Uh, but he says the same quote, right? The night is darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you the dawn is coming, right? Uh, and it's a, you know, it's a familiar concept in life. Right? That, look, there are times in life where, man, it's flat challenging. You know, where it seems like everything that could go wrong, goes wrong. You know, and, and it has, even in the story, as we'll look at here in a second, uh, even a cascading effect. Where problems sometimes pile on top of problems and create more problems and greater problems and so on and so forth. To the point where, man, it's, 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 life is pretty tough. You know, and that's kind of what this chapter, you know, chapters three and four, this segment, you know, it is. Chapter five, you know, there is good news and it begins to really emerge. But even here, there is a, there is a glimmer of light, you know. But we'll look at kind of the, the, the shadow that's beginning to fall over Israel here, right? I mean, you go through, <coughs> you go through the, the, these verses that we read. You know, I think even when I read verse one, I heard someone go, ooh, right? Ooh, not in a good way, but in a bad way, Georgia, right? That's not a positive. If you read that as a positive verse, I don't know. You got to read, read a lot more Bible, right? Uh, that's obviously not a good thing, right? The idea that, that God's people, who, who had God's law, wasn't something they, they read very often. It wasn't something they talked about very often. It had become very, very rare, right? That's, that, that's not a good sign. Right? Israel goes into battle there in chapter 4, verse 2, and they lose. Right? That's usually not a good sign. Right? Uh, they, they decide to go into battle with more people, uh, <coughs> as well as the ark of God, <coughs> and they lose even more handily. Right? Uh, and on top of that, Eli, the high priest, his two sons who are serving as priests, Hophni and Phinehas, not great guys. You can read chapter 2 if you're unaware of that. Right? They also die. Right? Eli, when he catches news of that, he dies. Right? Kind of like how we talked about last week of, you know, he, he gave a lot of weight to himself. What he wanted is what mattered more than what God mattered. And so God says, hey, here's how you operate in the temple. And Eli and his sons operated a different way because their opinion carried more weight than God's opinion. And of course, God ironically takes him out by his own weight. Right? So God has, you know, an ironic side to him. Right, uh, and, and then you know Phineas's wife hears about what's happened in the battle, what's happened to her, her father-in-law, and what's happened to her husband, and she's giving birth, and she dies. Right, and even with these stories, you know, the last three there in chapter four, each each subsequent piece of bad news reminds you of all the previous bad news, and that's that cascading effect that the author is trying to help us see, because that's how it feels in life sometimes. Right? Problems piling on top of problems. Right? And then the chapter closes with this. She gives birth to a son, and she doesn't even want to see him, which is crazy. Right? You don't see the midwife is trying to, good news, it's a boy, trying to 
Shouldn't, shouldn't even, don't even notice. Don't even care. And she names the boy Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. She said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Multiple times. As the chapter closes out, we're getting hit with this, this idea that, man, it's, it's, a, it's a dark, dark moment in Israel's history. Right? Everything that could go wrong seems to have gone wrong. You know, and this, even this woman, she looks, you know, uh, hesitantly in some sense, right? She doesn't want to pay any attention to her newborn, but, but she names him this way because she looks at the future for that child and sees no future. Right? It's a bleak outlook. You know, a Jewish scholar, this guy, uh, uh, I'm not going to say his name right, Yara Amit, you know, he says, look, the fate of this newborn child who would have no parents, no grandfather, and not even the ark of God. All right? Truly, that's a true statement that, that the glory has departed from that place. You know, and again, it's a, not exactly the most encouraging thing. If you came looking for an uplifting message, that's not going to be it. Right? I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it's sobering, you know, but it, in some sense, it's meant to make us think, though. I mean, why? Even the Israelites, as they're getting routed, they ask that question, and we're going to talk a little bit more in depthly about that question, but, you know, well, why is God defeated us, essentially. I mean, they understand that they rise or fall based on God's will. And they know they're falling there. They're losing that first battle that they, they send out in the beginning of chapter 4, and they ask that question. Why is God doing that? And, 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 and even the, the judgment that's falling on Eli's house, we, we know why. Right? We know that, that Eli's house was full of wickedness. You can read chapter 2 of that. Eli, as a father, had been, you know, charged to, to bring things under control. Didn't do it. Didn't respond, right, as God had told him to respond. But in some sense, this story is also pushing us to consider that there's a reason behind that reason, though. Yes, those are bad things. Yes, you know, Eli's sons were wicked guys. Yes, Israel as a whole definitely should have, you know, been thinking a lot more about God. God's word should not have been rare to them, Right? Uh, they knew the stories. The Philistines even quote the stories, which is interesting. Right? The Philistines talk about the plagues in Egypt, right? and they have fear at that, at, you know, in the sight of that God. You know, but we've got to think about the reason behind even why, why is Israel become like this. And one of the hints that were given over and over and over, because this, you know, the, the, Samuel is the last judge. right? He's going to appoint Saul as king and then David. Uh, as king, but and so it ends that period of the judges. If you're familiar with the, the kind of the chronology of the Old Testament, and the book of Judges ends ends with that verse, right? Which is a pretty famous verse, right? In those days, there was no king in Israel; everyone did what was right in his own eyes, right? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Chapter three, verse one starts with the identical phrase: "In those days." So it's trying to connect us, help us understand these days. What days are we talking about? Well, the days where, you know what? Everyone generally did whatever was right in their own eyes, which Eli and his sons, they were obvious examples of that occurrence, right? But here it adds a bit to it is, yeah, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, but, but there's also an element, the reason they're doing that is because the word of God has become so rare. People's perception. Their own ideas of what they think they should do, that's governing the people rather than God's word. Right? And so there's a play on eyes, though, that goes throughout this. Right? Throughout this chapter, right? 
Eli. We keep getting details about Eli's sight. That doesn't add, I mean, you know, that's a weird detail to be putting in there, but it's intentional, right? Because it's not just talking about Eli's physical sight, though his physical sight is, fa- is failing, right? But Eli's eyes are becoming weak. He could barely see, right? Later on, it says he's sitting in his chair on the side of the road. Uh, as the battle's happening, he's watching, but he's also blind, right? And, and, and in the Old Testament, you got to understand that sight is not purely literal sight. When Moses is old, what does the Old Testament say about Moses when he's dying? Is that even when he was really old, 120 men, his sight was still good. Ooh, I mean, okay. Why is that in there? Because he had LASIK? <laughs> I don't think so, right? It, it, it's talking about not his literal physical sight, though his physical sight may have been good, but it's talking about the spiritual perception of his soul. We sang the song earlier, right? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That comes from the New Testament where Paul talks about, man, the eyes of your heart have to be enlightened else you won't know. And so in some sense, Israel is at where they're at and Israel is being opposed by God and Eli's household is being handed over in judgment because they have lost their spiritual perception. Their spiritual eyes have have become blinded by their own sin. And the play on eyes continues. Even Eli is, you know, I mean, poor Samuel. I mean, most people think he's, uh, the, the uh, Jewish rabbis in their history, they think hey, he's barely 12 years old, right? And he has to deliver that message to Eli. <laughs> That's kind of scary. But he does, you know, under threats from Eli, right? Or maybe, you know, maybe there's some, you know, familiar with Ezekiel. Ezekiel has watchmen. Uh, uh, concept in there where it talks about, look, Israel's role, you know, our role, their watchman's role is warn people of danger that will come. If they listen, great. If they don't listen, that's on them, right? But, but if, if you see something happening and you don't say anything, that's on you, right? And that's kind of the watchman concept in the Old Testament, right? Uh, and, and Eli is kind of using that similar language, Right? And so Samuel does what he, he needs to do. And he says, hey, here's the message from God. And it's not a pleasant message. right? But, but Eli's response is, man, God's got to do what's right in his own eyes. That's not like a great response. The reality is, is that Eli's perception and God's perception, those eyes don't match up anymore. They're seeing the same thing, but not seeing the same thing. They're seeing the same scenario in Israel, but they're not seeing it in the same way. Right? Because Eli has lost sight of how God wants him to see. And literally, he does become blind as the chapter closes out there. Right? And this idea of sight, you know, it's not just in you know, the end of Judges and Samuel 3 and 4. Right? One of, to me, one of the scariest passages in the Bible is, is Matthew 13, 14 to 17. When Jesus is talking about why he speaks in parables. Right? And he says of the people, he says, Though seeing, they do not see. Right? Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. They're ever seeing, but never perceiving. And so he says to the crowds, look, here's why I speak in parables. In some sense, he's saying, hey, I'm intentionally making it confusing because you know what? People, they don't really actually care. They see, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really hear. And that's Eli. That's Eli's son. 
That's a lot of Israel at that time. Hearing, but not really hearing. Seeing God do things in their life and not really seeing what God is doing. And it's such a scary, scary concept. You know, and there's a lot of variables that go into why, you know, how we, you know, we're going to talk about them, how we keep our eyes good. But you got to, in some sense, consider today, man, a, a checkup on him. Man, how, how are my spiritual eyes? So I not about you. I, I don't read Eli's story and Israel's story and think, man, I want that. I'm like, oh my gosh. Could it get any worse? Probably not. It's a dark, dark time. But, but why is it that way? Well, the way they're acting. And God is responding to them in opposition to try to wake them up. Right? To try to help them to see as they need to see. And so let's look here at the, at the story a little bit more in depth. And what are some symptoms of weakening spiritual hindsight? Right? Four of them there. You know, let, let's unpack these. Right? The first one's an obvious one. And we chatted a bit about that. The word becomes rare. The word becomes rare. Right? I was talking with Adam. Where's Adam? Adam and I were chatting about this before church. Right? You know, you think about when you first start coming to church, how many times people talk to you about read your Bible? All the time. You know what I mean? All the time. I mean, I remember studying the Bible 19 years ago, and I remember at the start of every single Bible study, the guys asked, how's the reading going? How's it going? How are you doing reading? And as a young Christian, almost every time I'd hang out with an older Christian, they would ask the question of, How's the reading going? Are you reading? You know what I mean? And Adam and I were talking about it. It's such a simple concept, but yet so elusive. So elusive. I hear people all the time. People have been Christian a long time. Saying, I'm not, I'm not reading. And then you see people turn around spiritually and they radically change, right? And you go ask them, hey, what changed? And they say, I actually started reading. Wow. Who would have thought? Who would have thought they would be connected? Oh, everyone, because we talk about it all the time. All the time we talk about it. And yet it doesn't happen a lot of times. And we got to think, man, that's such a scary verse. God's word had become rare. Become rare. People not reading it, not thinking about it, right? I mean, again, the idea that, that the, the Philistines, right, aside from Hannah, okay, the Philistines provide the most in-depth summary of Israel's history in the first four chapters of Samuel. The Philistines. Doesn't come from the mouth of Eli. Doesn't come from his sons, right? It comes from the Philistines, Remembering, hey, here's, here's what God did in the past. And they're even shaking in fear in him. Right? Become rare, though, the word. You know, it's such a simple thing, guys. How, how's your reading? Are you in the word every day? You have more access to more Bible than anyone else ever has had in history. Do you utilize it? I mean, you read some church history and you read stories 
uh, about people literally giving up their life to translate scripture into a language that people could understand. I mean, imagine that conversation in heaven. Imagine, you know, sitting down with, with Tyndale. Explaining to him why, why you didn't have time to read. When there are a lot of people in his time period that literally were burned at the stake. Translating scripture into a language that people could read. Talk about a weak excuse, okay? I mean, I don't know if we'd have anything to say to someone like that. You know what I mean? We've got to think. And do I realize what a privileged position I'm in in terms of history? Am I utilizing it? Am I, am I reading the word? Am I craving it like spiritual milk that it is, as Peter tells us? Am I using it from, from my soul as a mirror to help me to see myself as God sees me? Because, man, that, that's why God's given it. But it becomes, it becomes rare. And that's a symptom of, man, our, our spiritual eyesight becoming weaker and weaker. You know, secondly, a second symptom, I mean, our perception becomes limited. Okay, Eli is a high priest, and we picked on Eli a lot. Uh, but, man, he's in there probably for us to look at and, 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 and dissect, right? I mean, we talked about the ridiculousness of him assuming Hannah is drunk in the temple, right? And pulling her up on that, but not pulling up her, his sons, which are sleeping with the women at the tent of meeting and, uh, you know, stealing basically the sacrifices before their allotted time, right? So, so, so there's some perception problems for Eli, right? That's very clear. But you think about this, this occasion in, in the temple there as God is calling Samuel. Right? And I remember, Michelle and I can't remember which kid it was, but this is obviously a common story that's done in the kids' church downstairs, right? And I, we think it was Allie, and Allie, when she was two, had like a chipmunk's voice, you know? She's still a little bit. She's not here. We don't tell her I said that. Um, you know, but, but, but we remember her coming. Yeah, hey, Allie, what'd you learn in church? And, and she kind of like, Samuel, 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 Samuel. And you can hear she's trying to retell the story, you know what I mean? But you think about the story and you think, Eli, it took you three times to figure out God was involved. Really? It took you three times to figure that out. I mean, Samuel has been given to God by his mother. He's been in your care since he was weaned, which, you know, I don't know, 96 months. I don't know what they did back then, you know what I mean? But, man, he's had this kid who is being raised as a Nazarite, you know, uh, you know, he, he literally seems to sleep in there next to the Ark of the Covenant. Right? And it, and it takes three times for Eli to clue in, oh, maybe God's calling him. That's not a good sign of perception. That's not very quick. Right? You think, come on, man, you're the high priest. Surely that, that thought would have crossed his mind. Right? His perception has become, become limited. Even later on, right, in chapter 4, there in verse 3, right, they, they lose the first battle and the soldiers come back and ask, why did the Lord bring defeat on us? I mean, Eli, obviously, he, he 
you know, he's old at this point, but they, they wouldn't have went and got the ark without some discussion with Eli, okay? Eli, at this point, has been told multiple times from multiple sources that God is going to wipe out his family because of all the sin that's happening in, 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 in his family, right? And, and he gives the okay to the ark being taken out into battle, the people are pondering, well, well, wonder why God is opposing us. Well, the word of God has become rare. The high priest is literally using violence to steal your sacrifice away from God to feed himself. His sons seem to be openly sleeping with women and openly engaged in immorality at the temple, at the tent of meeting. And yet they're asking the question, why did God defeat us? Well, there are some pretty obvious reasons, but no one seems to consider them. But maybe this story is trying to tell us something about the perception. And sometimes this happens in our lives, guys. But we sit and we ponder, well, why, is this, why does this keep happening? And everyone around us is like pulling their hair out. That's why I have no hair left. <laughs> <coughs> It's from Cameron, my nephew, pulling and just, <laughs> not Cameron, of course not. You know, but you think, you know, I mean, you know that scenario, right? We, we love one another for sure, but sometimes we see repetitive choices. And then we hear questions like that. I don't know, why is that happening? Is that, is that, that's rhetorical, right? You're not really asking that. No, no, they are, but, but that tells us something about perception. And sometimes if you find yourself in a scenario where you have no clarity, but everyone else around you does, you got to think, hey, man, how's my spiritual perception? Right? I mean, thirdly, you think about, you think about the impact. Again, let's, Eli's gone at the end of this chapter. We'll leave him after this. You know, but, I mean, it says of his own sons that they are sons of Satan, sons of Belial. Remember that from chapter 2, Right? Samuel has been with him since the beginning, right? Since he was weaned. And yet it says here in, in the chapter we just read that Samuel did not know the Lord. I mean, this mother has given up her son to be used in God's service. And Eli has then taken that son and not taught him about God. That's crazy. That is crazy, especially if he's, if he's 12 at that point. Right? Verse 7, chapter 3, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Right? Eli's own sons, obviously, they, they're, pursue, they're, they're performing all these religious duties, but remember back in the previous chapter, it says the same thing of them. They didn't know the Lord. Right? Under, under Eli, probably because of all the spiritual lack of perception and the lack of God's word in his life, he wasn't impacting anyone around him. The people closest to him they weren't, they weren't flourishing in a relationship with God. He, he's a character, if you're familiar with the Bible, a lot like Lot. Right? You, you know Lot, right? In the Old Testament, you know? And New Testament tells us, like, you know, Lot was a righteous guy. Right? Inside, he was tormented by the wicked things he saw all around him happening at Sodom and Gomorrah. But at the same time, he was like an elder in Sodom and Gomorrah, sitting at the gates, right? And when he tries to warn his own family about the impending destruction coming on Sodom and Gomorrah, they don't listen to him. 
His sons-in-law, don't, they don't listen to him. Because Lot's words carried no weight. No one took him seriously. And that's a bit like Eli. And that, that's, again, we've got to look at our lives sometimes soberly. And we're having no, no impact on the world around us. Maybe sharing our faith, talking to people about, you know, at work, about church, but you know, no, no, one, no one's interested. Well, well, yeah, but maybe also there's something about your life that actually doesn't really stand out like a light in the darkness. So there is no kind of shock about you. There is no draw to learn more about God. It's a scary, it's a scary thing where his impact becomes minimal. And obviously Israel as a whole falls victim to this. I mean, Israel was never like, I mean, you read the Old Testament, they, they never won a battle because of intelligent military strategy, right? I mean, we, I don't remember where it was, but, you know, I mean, you look at, I mean, okay, the walls of Jericho. Let's march around the city every day blowing trumpets, okay? That's not like, you know, I don't know. That's not like great, like, surprise attack type strategy, you know what I mean? And, and you know what, on the last day, let's not just blow the trumpets, let's all scream really loud. And you know what, then we'll win. And yeah, well, it works because God said to do it. And they were humbly walking with God and following God. And, and so they were victorious. Right? But Israel here, they're not, they're not walking with God. But they go through the motions of it. Right? They still have the outward motions of it. Even the Philistines, they, 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 they look at Israel and they think they're in trouble, Right? They brought, they brought a God into their camp, right? Israel is going through the motions spiritually just as they did in the past. But they're not having any effect. Because spiritually, they, they, become, they become dull. They're an outward shadow, but man, it's no, there's no depth of reality. Saying the right jargon sometimes. Showing up at the right, you know, meeting sometimes. But their life no longer, no longer has impact. Because they're not really honoring God. They're not really following God as, as they should. And you think about, you know, the fourth one there with Eli. I mean, repentance becomes rare. I mean, God multiple times warns Eli, right? I mean, he sends the unnamed guy in chapter 2 man of God comes, rebukes him, right? I don't know, the, you know, the text doesn't tell us how much time goes between chapter 2 and chapter 3 and 4, right? But when God sends Samuel with a message, he, he tells Samuel, right? Um, there in, in verse 12, right? It says, at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family. Verse 13, for I told him I would judge them. So Eli had been told multiple times, here's what's coming, right? But he didn't change. If you read the Bible, I mean, you could figure out pretty quickly, God tells people to change, right? I mean, the great prophet Jonah, right? Not really great prophet, right? Reluctant prophet Jonah, right? Goes and delivers, you know, a really warm and fuzzy, you know, heart, heart, pulling on the heartstrings types of message to Nineveh, right? Repent or you're going to die. They repent. And God doesn't destroy them. I mean, it could have been a different story, I think, for Eli, right? I mean, if the first guy comes there in chapter 2 and tells Eli, hey, you've got to 
get, pull, pull, pull your sons in. You've got to restrain them. You've got to make changes. And Eli does that. Maybe it plays out differently. Maybe, maybe they're not all getting wiped out in chapter 4. I mean, it seems to present itself that way. And that seems to be how God operates. God is willing to relent. God is willing to change if we change. But a lot of times we're like Eli, right? We hear the same, having the same conversation on repeat. But not changing. Repentance becoming rare in our life. Man, it's a scary, scary sign. Right? And you got to look at these symptoms. you got to look at yourself. you got to think, man, where's my spiritual eyesight at? And it all is pretty discouraging, but there is hope, right? And there is hope throughout this chapter, actually. Right? The writer does a phenomenal job of giving us little glimpses that, hey, things are going to turn around now. Right? Things are going to change. You know, there's the imagery there in chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, right? The lamp of God had not yet gone out. That's not just telling us that God's going to call Samuel in the middle of the night. It's this idea that there is, man, it's looking bad in Israel, but you know what? There, there, is, there is hope. Because there's always hope. I mean, if God's involved, there is always hope. There's always reason to, to hope for a turnaround, right? And, and of course, there, God begins to call Samuel. You know, even in chapter 3, verse 15, Samuel lays down until morning, and then he opens the doors of the house of the Lord. Again, that's, that's a detail, not just talking about literally he unlocked the building like Pam does, okay? It's saying something more. And man, he, he is going to begin to take God, and, and man, people are going to hear about him. People are going to again hear about the word of God. That the, that the word of God is no longer going to be rare like it has been under Eli. But man, it's going, to, it's going to go forth. right? And even chapter 3 into chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's word came to all of Israel. And you see this, this, this decline of Eli and his house because of the lack of the spiritual perception. But you see a light beginning to rise. A prophet like Moses that Israel hasn't had in a long time. Right? Again, Israel is at the end of a series of judges <coughs> that have progressively gone from bad to worse. You read the book of Judges and you think, oh gosh, that's kind of, that's, that's not First Samuel's discouraging. Judges is pretty bleak as well. As Israel kind of spirals downward and downward. But, but here's hope. And what is it? It's Samuel. And what, what is it about Samuel? Is it because he's, you know, super intelligent, little 12-year-old? No. It's because he's hearing about God, and then he's telling others about God. He's learning about God. God is revealing him to himself through his word. And then Samuel is telling others about that. Is that message always pleasant? I mean, again, a 12-year-old going to Eli and telling him a message of judgment is a scary thing, but man, he doesn't. Because Samuel understood, man, this is God's word. And if this is what God says, then man, that's what it is. Because Samuel didn't think more highly of himself than he should. He thought, you know what? I'm a messenger. If this is what God says, then that's what it is. If this is the direction God's word says we should go, then that's where we should go. Whereas Eli and his sons and his household, they were all about self. 
doing what they think is best, their opinions, their perceptions. But man, they were becoming blinder and blinder. But Samuel brings God's word to light. You know, as you leave here today, I encourage you, think, of, think about this Proverbs. Proverbs 6, 20, 22 to 23, right? When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you, for this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. That's a great proverb. Our spiritual sight, guys, the spiritual condition of our souls, the, the, the eternal destiny of our lives hinge on our connection to the Word of God. We, we worship a God who has spoken. Hebrews tells us, man, in the past God spoke through angels, but man, now he's spoken to us through his Son. And we can think, man, if I had this or if I had that, then I would repent. And the Bible makes very clear, what do you need? You need God's word. You need God's word. Even Jesus says, look, even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe. They're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets. They're not going to believe, even if they have something miraculous. You have in your lap, on your phone, on your tablet, easily accessible day in and day out, any time of the day, you can have someone else read it to you. I mean, Seriously. But we got to be a people that, that, that consume and feed our souls on God's word. Make a decision. You know, tomorrow, get up, read the Bible. Make a decision to, again, every day, become a person that, man, digs into the word. Make it a habit of your life that you make no decision. If you don't have clear scripture for, hey, here's the direction God wants me to go. Not, not, hey, here's what my heart tells me I feel like I should do. Who cares what you feel? No, no offense, but seriously. The direction of your life cannot be built on feelings. My goodness, you think your feelings are, maybe it's just indigestion. But you know what I mean? I hear people say it all the time. Hey, let's go do the spiritual thing. I'm not really feeling it. Sorry, how is that relevant? How is that relevant? What does God's word say? You want to get your eyes growing and, and clear, man, get in God's word. Amen? As we close out with Eli, man, heed the warnings, guys. Become a man or a woman of the word. Dig into it. Let it be a light for your path. Let it guide you. All right? Welcome it. Hold on to it. Treasure it. It is of more value than anything else in this life. Amen? Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing one final song. <clears throat> uh, Father, we, you know, we thank you. We thank you for you know, the scariness of your opposition to Eli, God, and his household, and even all of Israel in that time. Father, we pray you help us, God. Help us to, to be a people that, that hide your word in our heart, God. Help us to meditate on it day in and day out, God. Help us to determine our steps, God, according to what your word says, Father. Help us to, to be a people who build our lives on that rock, which is you and which is your word, Father. Help us in this, God. God, we know that, that you know, the, the dependence on your word, God, strikes at our pride. It cuts against our desire to do what we think is best, what we want to do, Father. 
But we pray, help us to be a people who humbly submit to your word, God. To allow it to, to, to be planted into our soul, Father. And we pray that you, you enable it, God, to, to grow and to flourish in our lives, God. Help us, God, to, to clear out other things in our lives that choke out your word. Help us to face the, the, the rocks in our life, God, that, that hinder the, 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 the word from taking root with depth, Father. And God, we pray that you help us to, to be that good soil, Father. Where your word grows in our lives and produces a crop 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown, Father. And we know that that's Samuel's impact, God, will, will, will spread far and wide beyond himself, God. Simply because he had a heart that listened to your word, Father. God, help us to, to, to get back that childlike dependence if we've lost it, God. We pray that your spirit can, can weigh on us heavily, Father, giving us a hunger and a thirst for you and for you alone, God. Again, we thank you and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.